We gather hoping to see God. Here in worship, we realize that we see God in one another. We can see God. We show when we pursue hospitality to strangers, when we rejoice in hope, let us worship the visible God among us. Please be seated. God wants us to be ourselves, 
But every time we hurt one another or ourselves, we get further and further away from who we are. It is in our confession, in admitting the truth of our lives, that we can be our genuine selves again. Let us join in our prayer of confession together. God of love, you ask us to love one another from the center of who we are. You tell us to bless one another. You encourage us to do good. But we have not listened to your words. Instead of loving, we have practiced hatred. Instead of blessing, we have perfected cursing. Instead of doing good, we have sought to get even. Forgive us for giving up. Give us grace to try again and encouragement to make your ways our ways. We pray, we wait, we hope. Amen. Friends, the saying is sure, of, sure and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came to offer the grace of forgiveness that we might receive God's loving kindness through such grace. Believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to worship at Fourth Presbyterian Church on this 14th day after Pentecost. Reflecting our Creator's warm embrace of all who are created in God's own image, I invite you to turn and greet your neighbors in sharing the peace of Christ with them in whatever manner of greeting feels most comfortable and respectful. And for those of you who are joining us online, we hope you'll take the time to let us know that you are joining us today, whether via the QR code on your screen or in the link below the video. We extend you a warm welcome as well. So, beloved, may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And also with you. Amen. We encourage you to take a few moments to look through the closing pages of your bulletin for a variety of ways to grow, to serve, to share, and to celebrate. We also hope that you'll take another moment to find and fill out the pew pads either in person or digitally for those who are worshiping with us online. And we invite you to do that as I highlight a few 
particular notes from your bulletin. First, we are excited and we eagerly look forward to kicking off our new program year next Sunday. It's that time again already. With Sunday school and youth gatherings and 11 a.m. adult education classes and so much more. We're also excited to launch our new worship schedule next weekend with Sunday services at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m., with the 9.30 service being live streamed and available for viewing any time after that, and the return of our afternoon service at a new time and with a new name, the gathering, communion at two o'clock. That afternoon service will also be held here in the sanctuary and live streamed. As you join us next Sunday for our program kickoff, we hope that you'll join us because it is also our annual tradition of Get Connected Sunday combined with our festive neighborhood block party. Invite a friend or a group of friends and come learn about opportunities available here for you at Fourth Church and enjoy music, ice cream, treats, a pet blessing, games, and more in the courtyard. You'd, you'd be crazy not to join us next week for this festive fun. So please do make it a point to come. You can read more about all of the wonderful things we'll have to offer in your worship bulletin, and you'll receive it in our e weekly e-newsletter. I want to give you an advance heads up, especially for those of you who are veterans and their families. Our veteran support group will be meeting immediately following the 11 a.m. service on Sunday, September 17th. That gathering will be in the Randolph Room. It will be in person and there will be a Zoom link available. For more information, please feel free to contact me. I am Pastor Nancy Benson-Nicole, and my email is in your bulletin as well. Today, we will be celebrating communion. And so I encourage you, those of you who are worshiping online, to have bread and juice on hand so that we may all share together in the Lord's Supper wherever we may worship. These are the works of the people of God to the glory of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh God, by your Holy Spirit, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to follow Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is Selections from Psalm 105. Listen now for God's word to us. Give thanks to the Lord and call upon God's name. Make known the deeds of the Lord among the peoples. Sing to the Lord, sing praises, and speak of all God's marvelous works. Glory in God's holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. 
Search for the strength of the Lord. Continually seek God's face. Remember the marvels God has done, the wonders and the judgments of God's mouth. O offspring of Abraham, God's servant. O children of Jacob, God's chosen ones. Israel came into Egypt, and Jacob became a sojourner sojourner in the land of Ham. The Lord made the people of Israel very fruitful, more numerous than their enemies, whose hearts God turned so that they hated God's people and dealt unjustly with the servants of God. O Lord, you sent Moses your servant and Aaron your chosen one. Hallelujah. Amen. Our second reading from scripture this morning comes to us from the New Testament epistle to the Romans, the 12th chapter beginning in the ninth verse. Listen again for God's word to us. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the lowly, Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room For the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. I was at a family wedding last weekend, so I was not here for this, but I did watch the service on YouTube after the fact, and so I heard Pastor Joe's sermon. I heard him speak powerfully and beautifully about the 60th anniversary last weekend of the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Specifically, Joe recalled some of the singers 
who were at that march, Harry Belafonte, Tony Bennett, who died last year, last summer. But another singer was there that day, uh, Joan Baez. And Joan Baez led that massive crowd of people in the song that was to become somewhat of an unofficial anthem of the civil rights movement, We Shall Overcome. You know the song. We shall, I won't sing it. Now, Joan Baez didn't write that song. It's not her song, of course. It's ha it had a long history, multiple iterations as an African-American spiritual before she ever sang it. We Shall Overcome is in the purple Glory to God hymnal that's in the backs of our pews, as a matter of fact. And I have a companion to that hymnal in my office that tells sort of the background and history of everything that's in the hymnal. And it describes very helpfully the role that a certain institution the Highlander Folk School played in popularizing that song among the leaders of the struggle for, for, for civil rights. The book explains that Highlander was a social justice leadership school and cultural center in Grundy County, Tennessee, and it provided training and education for the labor movement in Appalachia and throughout the southern United States. Now the music director at the school, because of course it had a music director, learned We Shall Overcome, or a version of it, from striking tobacco factory workers in Charleston, South Carolina in 1946. She taught the song to Pete Seeger in 1947, and over the next decade, it was very frequently part of the evening singing sessions at the Highlander School. In 1959, the next music director taught the song to the first ever meeting of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the group that would go on to organize the Freedom Rides and the lunch counter sit-in protests. After the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom in 1963, the song became, according to the book, one of the most recognizable movement songs in the world. Dr. King quoted it frequently in his speeches and in his sermons, including in his final Sunday sermon in the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. He said, we shall overcome, we shall overcome. Deep in my heart, I believe we shall overcome. And I believe it because somehow the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We shall overcome. It's the last sentence of our scripture reading this morning that has the song, we shall overcome, in my ears, specifically the line that says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Because if you were to ask me now to condense the teaching of Christianity down to a single sentence, please don't do that. But if you were to ask me to do that, overcome evil with good might be the sentence that I chose. If nothing else, this is a strong distillation of the Christian ethic laid out here by the Apostle Paul in the 12th chapter of the letter to the Romans. By, by ethic, I mean a kind of code for right living, right? We all have an ethic, whether we acknowledge it or not, rules that we live by. I have a friend who has said for years in his own home and in the churches that he's served, big kids take care of the little kids. That's his ethic. Families have ethics. You may have seen some version of this sign in, a, in someone's kitchen or, or, or bathroom. It might be in your kitchen or bathroom, laying out house rules, 
the one that I saw as a kid at my friend's house, said, if it's open, close it. If it rings, answer it. If it's dirty, clean it. If it's hungry, feed it. If it cries, give it a hug. There's an ethic in there, perhaps several ethics in fact. We all have an ethic for Christians, for the church. Overcoming is our ethic. Overcoming evil is our ethic. Overcoming evil with good is our ethic. This is not an ethic to be endorsed or embraced lightly because for one thing, we need to remain grounded anytime that we're talking about good and evil. We need to remain grounded in a healthy skepticism about ourselves and about our ability to tell the difference between the two. We need to bear in mind the apostle's admonition here in Romans not to claim to be wiser than we are because painful experience has taught all of us how easy it is for people of faith to find ourselves on the wrong side of the good-evil divide. The church is not and never has been immune from evil simply by virtue of being the church. Instead, the catalog of evils permitted or endorsed by organized Christianity is long and sobering and it ought to give us pause before we begin to speak of hating evil. Still, the Christian ethic is to overcome evil with good, with humble discernment, with God's help. That's possible. We have to try, at least. We can't just stand here in a position of privileged relativism and throw up our hands like, good, evil, it's anyone's guess. If we believe that, we wouldn't pray each week to be delivered from evil. The reality is that the distinction between good and evil is not anyone's guess. And it's a cop-out to claim that good and evil are relative terms because you know for whom the term evil is not relative, the victims of evil. Evil's not a relative term to people fleeing their homes for fear of violence. Evil's not a relative term for those people who, after fleeing their homes, look out across the Rio Grande River to buoys that have saw blades stuck between the two of them. They don't look at that and say, maybe that's evil, maybe not. Depends on your cultural situation. Evil is not a relative term for communities targeted for harassment and discrimination. Evil was not a relative term to the masses that gathered on the National Mall 60 years and one week ago. To say that good and evil can't be told apart is not to keep our thumb off the scales of morality and justice and maintain a position of neutral objectivity. To do that is actually to place our thumb directly on the scale on the side of evil. Evil and good can be told apart, and they must be told apart, especially for people of faith, because overcoming evil with good is what we're all about. And so once we have discerned evil from good with God's help, with one another's help, once we have committed ourselves to holding fast to that which is good and even to hating that which is evil, the first thing that we know we must do is what we must not do, and that is to pay back evil for evil. We, if we worship in this space or online with any regularity, know this. 
We hear it often enough. This is part of the standard charge given by preachers from this lectern over here. Every Sunday at the close of the worship service, I guarantee you, you're going to hear it later this morning. Repeat after me, return no one evil for evil. You can do better than that. Return no one evil for evil. Vengeance ain't Christian. Though it is quite popular, a casual review of movie trailers over the past several years prominently features the theme of revenge where the good guys, Denzel Washington, Liam Neeson, dish out some much-deserved payback to the bad guys. I don't know who any of those actors are. That's understandable on a very human level, isn't it? Payback. Payback feels good. If you or somebody that you love has been wronged, has been harmed, leveling the score feels like justice, or, or at least it feels like something. It feels like fighting back. It feels like restoring your dignity. Commentators note that the context of this letter to the little church in Rome, the context is the cultural honor and shame codes of Roman society. There were clear rules about what was required of a person if their honor had been insulted. And all of those rules requ required returning harm in the same way. I don't know how far we've actually come from that. The theology of revenge has never worked to the benefit of the faithful. For those same Christians in Rome in the first century responding to provocation or persecution in kind would have not only harmed the credibility of their witness to Jesus, who after all did not resist his own arrest, but would have invited a far harsher response from their neighbors, from the ruling authorities. And this, this letter advising them not to take revenge is not the first time in scripture that this has been said. It's quoted here in this passage Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's from the song of Moses in Deuteronomy. It's also in Leviticus 19. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now you may recognize the last part of that one because when Jesus was asked what the most important commandment was, that's one of the things that he said. That's right. The command that Jesus identified as one of the most important commandments in scripture is connected to a prohibition against taking revenge. He went on to say, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. He went on even further to say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus continued an old, old biblical teaching against settling the score. Paying back evil for evil is not how we overcome evil with good. Still, evil is real. Evil is real and its impact on people is real. When a person's humanity is degraded, when a people's freedom is denied, when you're demeaned, or talked down to or ignored, how can you be expected to do this? How can you be expected to resist the enticement of revenge? Maybe you have to consider the possibility ahead of time and decide what you're gonna do. On the last day of our senior high 
mission trip last summer in Memphis, our group visited the National Civil Rights Museum, and there's an exhibit there, many of you have probably seen it, of a Woolworth's lunch counter. The exhibit explains those sit-in protests that were organized by the Nonviolent Student Committee in cities like Greensboro, North Carolina, to protest discrimination in public places like restaurants. What really catches your attention in that exhibit is a video that's playing on the wall behind the model counter and the statues. The video is of a training class that prepared protesters for what they would experience when they took seats at segregated lunch counters. And the training class was not a lecture class. Fellow protesters taunted one another. They threw water and coffee on one another. They blew cigarette smoke in one another's faces. They shouted racial epithets at one another. All kinds of things to try to prepare themselves, their fellow protesters, to suffer evil, and they had no idea how bad it would get, to suffer evil and to not return evil for evil. Do not return anyone evil for evil, says the scripture, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And this is why those protests were effective. Because there was no question when television footage and newspaper photographs of the sit-in protests were broadcast around the country, the response of the counter-demonstrators in particular, no question but that the protesters' behavior was noble while their opponent's behavior was evil. Because the protesters thought about it in advance and they trained for nobility instead of training for score settling. Incitements to retaliation only seek to drag us down to the evildoer's level. You've heard the advice, I'm sure, about not wrestling with a pig because you both get muddy and the pig really likes it. Instead, the positive non-resistance that sit-in protesters practiced and taught to the world changed the rules. They, they changed the terms of the struggle to their own terms, good and evil, and they refused to accept the terms of racism and white supremacy. There's a video about those demonstrations and about the training for it, and in one of those videos, a young John Lewis says, there was something deep down within me moving me that I could no longer be satisfied with an evil system, that I had to be maladjusted to it. And in spite of all of this, I had to keep loving the people that denied me service. The Christian ethic of overcoming evil with good does not accept a terminology of relativity or a terminology of vengeance. Rather, it dictates new terms based on our apprehension of what is good, what is beautiful, what is true, what is noble, trusting in the power of the good to overcome the evil. And worship, worship is the arena that shapes us in that terminology of the good and the honorable and the noble and the beautiful. Worship is our classroom to be trained in the ethic of overcoming evil with good. This whole section of the letter to the Romans is really about worship, about how worship shapes our thinking about ourselves and about everybody else, including our enemies. In the verses that Pastor Joe read last Sunday, 
right before these, we were urged to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our participation in worship, our participation in the sacrament of communion in worship trains us in the good and in the perfect. The Lord's table is our curriculum for overcoming evil with good. For even on the eve of his arrest, Jesus took time and created space for mutual affection, a family meal with his disciples. In John's account of the supper, Jesus associated with that which was lowly in that supper by washing his disciples' feet, taking the posture of a servant to them, thereby outdoing them in showing honor. And even in the presence of an enemy, Judas, who had already betrayed him, Jesus pronounced a blessing and not a curse. The resurrected Christ comes to his disciples the same ones who flee his side, who abandon him, who deny him, he comes not with retribution, but with peace. Peace be with you, he says. And so we, so far as it depends on us, extend that peace to one another in worship and to all when we leave worship. Coming to this table in worship patterns our life after Jesus' own life, his spirit, his joy, his suffering, his prayer, his welcome to all people, his love, in other words. Here we are fed by that love, the love of a Lord who died for us while we were yet sinners in order to feed one another with that love and to feed a world famished for love. May it be so. Amen.
join me in affirming what it is we believe using these words from Romans 8. We believe there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose. We are convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The Apostle Paul encourages us, do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Now in loving service to this loving Lord, we return to God a portion of the bounty that God has given to us. Our morning offering will now be received.
As we prepare our hearts to share communion this morning, we recognize that the three roses in the chancel represent losses in our community. Brian Albert Erler died on August 27th. Jean M. Sullivan died on August 29th. And Jane Heenan died on August 30th. We give thanks to God for the promise and the gift of eternal life. Friends, this is the joyful feast of all of the people of God. Scripture tells us that people will come from north and south, from east and west, to sit at table in the kingdom of God. According to Luke, when our risen Lord was at table with his disciples, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. This is the Lord's table. Our Savior invites those who trust in him to share the feast that has been prepared. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Holy God, creator of the universe, with joy we praise you and give you thanks. For you brought light from darkness and drew land from the sea. You made us in your image to live with one another in love. You promised yourself in covenant with us. You told us your purpose in your law and called for justice through the prophets. Through long generations, you have been faithful to your people. Therefore, we join our voices with all the faithful, past and present, forever singing to the glory of your name. Most holy God, for the gift of your Son, Jesus. He told your story, healed the sick, and welcomed the stranger. Obeying you, he took up his cross and died that we might live. Rising from the dead, he overcame death, the firstborn of the new creation. Remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we break bread and share one cup, giving thanks for your saving love in Jesus Christ and offering ourselves to live for him in joy and grateful praise. Great is the mystery of faith.
Please, God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and cup. Make them the body and blood of Christ, that we may be Christ's body for the world. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ and one another. Send us out to live for others as Christ lived for us. And keep us faithful until we feast with Christ in glory. All thanks and praise to you, holy God, as we pray in the name of Jesus, praying as he teaches us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We remember that on the night of his betrayal and arrest, Jesus sat at table with his friends. After he had given thanks to God for the bread, he took and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Take and eat it, all of you. Do this remembering me. Those of you worshiping with us online may break your bread now. And in like manner, he took the cup and he poured it saying, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As you drink of this cup, drink of it to remember me. For as long as you eat this bread and as long as you drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again in glory. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We will celebrate communion this morning through stations at the front and the back of the sanctuary. So you will be invited to come into the center aisle and go either to the back or to the front to a station with gluten-free bread and alcohol-free grape juice. If coming forward to one of these stations is not a possibility for you, servers will be bringing the elements down the side aisles to you. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God and ministering in God's name. We offer them to you. All is ready. Hand sanitizer.
Let us join together now in reciting the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now please stand as you are able as we join together in our prayer after communion. Let us pray. Holy One, all that we have comes from you. You bless our lives with the joy of thanksgiving and shower upon us the help we need every hour. Lead us, guide us, use us and these gifts for the sake of the life of the world. In the name of the one who died and rose, amen.
Go out into the world in peace. Have courage, hold on to what is good, return no one evil for evil. Support the weak, help the suffering, honor all people, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit go with each of us today and every day. Amen.